Welcome, everyone, to DEI After Five, the show that focuses on topics across diversity, equity, and inclusion with some of the brightest minds in the industry. Here's your hostess, inclusive culture curator and coach, Sasha Thompson. Hey, everyone, and welcome to this episode of DEI After Five. Now, for those of you who don't know, I want to tell you a little secret. I was not born in the United States. Go figure, right? Um, you know, if you follow me for any amount of time, you know that my family is from the Caribbean. And so I've always had this very different cultural lens of the work that I do and how I see the world and how it's shaped how I approach this work. Um, and so as I continue to do this work and meet other folks that are from other parts of the country doing this work, other parts of the world, I should say, doing this work, I really started to think about the globalization of DEI and what that looks like outside of the United States. Um, because so much of the so many of the companies that are in the US are really focusing kind of on the US, but this is something that is very global. And so my con my conversation today is really going to be focused on that, right? It's the globalization of DEI. And so my guest today is Abiola Ball, who is a DEI consultant who also is from the Caribbean. So I'm really excited to have this conversation. So Abiola, welcome. Hi, Sasha. It's nice to be here. Nice to have you. So for those who may not know who you are or what you do, can you just give us a little bit of your background? Yeah. So hi, everyone. I'm Abiola Bala, and I am an equity and inclusion consultant and mentor and speaker. I am originally, as Sasha mentioned, I'm originally from the Caribbean. I'm originally from Trinidad and Tobago. And but I've lived the majority of my adult life outside of Trinidad. So I've lived in Japan for 10 years. I lived in the US for a long time, in New York, in um, California, and I also lived in Belize. So um, it's been a whirlwind of living all over the world for me. And, you know, I am an educator. So my career started in education way back 17 plus years ago, right? And I was a teacher in Japan for a long time, a curriculum and program designer. And I also moved into working in higher ed, um, working in the social impact space. And, you know, through everything that I did through all of that, it was all through this lens of anytime I want something, someone comes into my space, I want them to feel like they belong because mm. I know what it feels like to be different because I was always the one in a room, <laughs> the only one from the Caribbean, the only one person of color, the only one of mixed ethnicity, the only, I was always that one. And I always wanted to make sure my, in my spaces, in my classrooms, in, you know, in workshops that I facilitated that people felt, didn't feel like they were the one, but that they were a part of. So all the lesson plans, the program design, curriculum design, always had that through line of DEI. 
And even before I even knew what it was, yeah, <laughs> you know, I was doing this. So it's only until I think a few years ago, maybe like, okay, when I say a few years, I mean like six years, <laughs> seven yeah. years ago. That's a few. Um, that I kind of moved into really honing in on what DEI is mm -hmm. and what the theory behind it and what this means. And a lot of what I've learned was from the U.S. context. So mm -hmm. for me, now I had to start pulling out of it. Okay, what does it mean for me? What does it mean for my work? What does it mean for me being in Japan? What does it mean for me living in Belize, you know, and working with people from all walks of life, from all different, like across all borders, right? Not just country borders, but like state borders, community yeah. borders, like socioeconomic borders, things like that. So, and that's where, you know, Fern Education Studios became a thing. Right. <laughs> and I started this entrepreneur life of, you know, working specifically in equity and inclusion consulting, you know, with professionals and organizations who are working across borders trying to make an impact. So yeah. that's in a nutshell, me. I love it. I love it. You know, because and when we first, you know, had our first conversation, that's what was I gravitated toward because mm -hmm. I was like, oh, she gets it. <laughs> like, you know, yes. it's I'm, I've always been accustomed to being that lonely only and mm -hmm. having to live within several cultures. Yeah. Um, and so especially for those whose families have immigrated to the United States, that is something or yeah, immigrated to the United States. It's something that people are pretty accustomed to. Right. Like you have your culture at home, but then you go out into the world and then you're dealing with that culture and, and that environment and having to balance and juggle that. Um, yes. And so I think it becomes very almost like second nature to be able to do that, right? Some people call it yeah. code switching or yes. culture switching. Um, and, and having to understand those nuances. I think for me, what was really fascinating that I was going through it, but I didn't understand what I was going through until I was older and I had taken some sociology classes mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, there's a name for this thing yes. that I've been doing my whole life. Um, and so I, I think that it's it's a skill that we have, that many people have, that they can tap into yeah. as they look at the work that they do every single day. So I appreciate, you know, that you've done this from an education standpoint and making sure that your students that were kind of like the lonely onlys weren't, right? Like they were a collective, they were part of this, this yeah. larger community. Um, and it's not that difficult if you are intentional about it. That's it, right? Intentionality. You have to be, or else, you know, what? what's the point? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I want to take us into a conversation um, specifically around the Caribbean because mm -hmm. I've noticed, and it's so interesting, I shared with you earlier, I recently went back to Barbados. My mom's there, my sister, a bunch of family members are there, and ended up which was supposed to be kind of a getaway, I ended up having conversations with DEI folks, right? <laughs> conversations around diversity and inclusion. 
But what's so fascinating to me is, you know, having these conversations around diversity, equity, and inclusion in countries that are predominantly Black, Mm -hmm. right? And on top of that, um, the impacts of colonization, uh, the impacts of the descendants of white settlers who are culturally, right, a part of that community, but many have not reconciled with how their families got to those islands. Um, And so that part of diversity, equity, and inclusion that is not often talked about, but is so innate into the cultures. Um, And so I want to talk to you a little bit about that. And, you know, how do countries that are predominantly Black, right, have these conversations? I'm going to start there because I have so many other questions in my head. But how, how do we start having or unpacking what diversity, mm-hmm. equity, and inclusion looks like in these spaces. Yeah. So everything you said, man, I can relate. I can, I've been having some of these conversations myself. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've noticed is that there is a lack of awareness that this mm-hmm. is even a thing yeah. that they should think about. So usually when I, you know, I tell family members like, hey, I'm a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant. They're like, a what? What does that even mean? (laughs) Equity? Do you do something with like homes? I'm like, no. (laughs) Like, what are you, wait, weren't you a teacher? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Right. And it's like having to break it down and kind of like really going back to like DEI 101 in terms of here's the definition, here's what diversity means, here's what equity means, here's what include, here's what belonging is. You remember that feeling you felt when you were like, here's, so it's really yeah. like the conversations have to start from that 101, that foundational phase because so many people They just don't, they've never thought about it in that way. And I think the other thing is, and I don't know if you get this, but in, Mm -hmm. when I do start to talk about it, just within my, my, you know, my family unit, my friends unit, my colleagues here, when I do start to talk about it, I get a lot of the times, oh, that's foreign people saying, (laughs) no, it's, no, it's not. (laughs) It's it's actually for, oh, and for those listening, if you're not from the Caribbean, when they say foreign people, they mean anyone who is not from the Caribbean, Caribbean. right? <laughs> not right. even just the island, just the Caribbean on a whole, right? Um, but it's not, yeah. right? And so I think that it's it's a sometimes a very uncomfortable conversation, a difficult conversation, but it's something that needs to be had. And I think for me, sometimes I bring it up when it, you know, when something happens in the the, the news or when someone makes like an off comment about, mm-hmm. you know, you know, someone in the, <laughs> I'll give you an example, like my, 
my uncle said to me the other day, he's like, you know, those people. I'm like, what people? He's like, you know, the people with all the letters. I'm like, what? Mm. I'm like, LGBTQ, okay, yeah, yeah. exactly. Do you mean the LGBTQIA plus <laughs> community? And he's like, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. it's not coming from a malicious place. Yes. Place. It's just coming from that lack of awareness, that lack of knowledge, that lack of something that is not spoken. Right. Right. Because so many things is like you don't talk about it, but we yeah. need to talk about it. It's right? so powerful because you know, the, the default is, and why I, I led with, you know, these are predominantly black or people of color countries mm -hmm. is because the default is, well, we have diversity. Why do we need to have this? Right. We're not trying to attract more people of color because we are the, the majority. Mm -hmm. And so there's a dismissive aspect of it there. Um, and I was having a conversation with a friend, my sis, one of my sister's friends, who's an executive in a company that is based in Europe, but they have offices, you know, in the Caribbean. And you know, in this conversation, she kind of said, you know, she often gets dismissed because they're like, oh, you don't need to have that diversity conversation because you know you represent the Caribbean, right? Y'all are good. And she's like, no, <laughs> we actually do need to have this conversation because if my team's not there, there's no other diversity at the table, right? And so what does that look like in that global context? And it goes beyond just skin color, right? And it's not just in to understand the history of the Caribbean, um, there's so many cultures mm -hmm. that are there, right? You know, you have a huge number of Chinese descendants in the Caribbean. Trinidad has a, a huge... Um, Indian, Asian yep. mm -hmm. population that now are Venezuelan, right? That are trendy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a, a Scottish and Irish population in Barbados mm -hmm. as well. So, you know, every island has this nuance, and that's not to say they're any more or less Bayesian or Trini right. or Jamaican or whatever Haitian than anyone else. It's just that cultural nuance and understanding yeah. that history. Um, yeah. That's not even to talk about the indigenous populations that were, you know, driven exactly. out um, of these communities. And so I think it's important that we um, understand the histories of, of what's made the islands kind of what they are. But I think that that's important as we talk about this global context and as companies that are based in the U.S. or the U.K. or some of these larger areas as they're looking at the Caribbean to have offices or, you know, have teams, that that's part of the, the beauty of the diversity within that yeah. region as well, too. And so it's something that I think many companies need to take step back and take a note of. But additionally, I think that many countries need to take a step back and look at the histories of how they became who they are mm -hmm. and look at some ugly truths, right? As a part of that, you know, you cannot talk about the history of the Caribbean or the Caribbean, however, you know, people say it, um, without talking about the slave trade. Can't. <laughs> like, just you, you, you I wouldn't can't. be here. <laughs> you can't do it. 
you can't talk about, um, and again, this was a conversation that I was having, you know, with my sister's friend of, you can't talk about rum being a huge export of the Caribbean without talking about slavery. Yep. You can't. Mm -hmm. And so companies that are in those spaces, when you talk about sugar, um, you talk about cane, uh, arrowroot for a while was a huge um, export of the Caribbean. You talk about bananas or you talk about whatever it is that there's being exported out of the Caribbean. You can't do that and not have that conversation around slavery. Yeah. Even carnival. Where did that start? It right. started with the slaves. <laughs> right. Right. So even something as, you know, fun and vibrant as carnival and you come and you dance and you, you know, you're ready to go. Yes. What, where, where did that start? Right. <laughs> and so it's interesting as I have more and more of these conversations, particularly with folks that are um, West Indian, you know, and part of that diaspora, it's how do we start to have those conversations? Because there's this mindset. Um, I don't want to say if it's not broke, don't fix it. But <laughs> why do we need to dwell yeah. on that, right? We're doing well now. Um, but there's also challenges to not talking about that history because there's a lot of pain that's still there. And we talk about generational pain and trauma mm -hmm. in, in this work yeah. that's still there um, that, that needs to be tapped into. Um, and not to tap into it just to say, oh my gosh, there's more pain, but you have to, okay, how do we start to work through this trauma? Yeah, I 100% I agree with everything you're saying. And I think one of the things is if we don't start tapping into these and having these conversations, just as you said, just about, you know, the, the slavery and the indentured laborers and, you know, the, the, the race side of things. Mm -hmm. How can we even start having conversations about the other parts of our identity right. if we don't, right? Because I always tell people it, it's not just about race, yes, but it starts. Yeah. It starts there because yeah. we're That's not willing list. to. It, it, exactly. It's, it, we have to. And I think even within the Caribbean context, leaving like when you said leaving them out of the conversation, they can't be because they're, yes, they have diversity in race, yes, but we also have diversity in gender, in sexual orientation, in our neurodivergence, in yes. our body size. In there are so many things that we still need to have conversations about in our complexion, let's not even get started with colorism, right? Like all of these things, if we're not willing to have that first conversation, that foundational conversation, we're never gonna get to the other conversations that we need to have because right. it's like, no one's gonna wanna talk about it. No one's gonna, everyone is like, you know what? It's like, as you said, and like, that's we don't we don't need that let's right. put it over there like you know especially the the older generation it's like we didn't grow up like that that's a 
line I hear often, right? We didn't or, have them when uh, you were growing up. I'm like, well, you probably did. You did, right? And even more so now where so much of the Caribbean is mixed, right? And everyone's, you know, we're, 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 we're a little bit of everything now, mm-hmm. you know? And our families basically look like the diaspora of Trinidad. So we have to have these conversations. Yeah. And, you know, I'm so glad you touched on the colorism aspect of this because that is something that I think is global, right? And and it's it's, it's the impact of colonization on Black and brown bodies, right? And, And how there was this mental gymnastics <laughs> that happened of, you know, the lighter someone is, right, the better they are and how that's been internalized through generations, um, not just in the Caribbean, it happens in the US, it happens yeah. in the UK, it happens in, you know, Asia, it happens globally. Yeah. And so to have that common thread of, okay, colorism is really a thing Right? How do we start to unpack that? And I'm, I'm seeing it in different areas, but holistically, it's, it's very difficult to do. But I, again, I think in having these conversations, that's a piece of this that needs to be brought to the forefront. Um, you know, again, one of the conversations I had last week was someone talking about how they noticed how they were treated as compared to one of their siblings who was of a lighter complexion, right? And and how it happens within the same family. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, it's very real. And it's just, it's something, again, as we're having these diversity, equity, and inclusion conversations, um, how do you have that within cultures that don't necessarily see themselves as different, right? <laughs> That's the million dollar question yeah. right there. <laughs> you know, it's 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 interesting. Um, and it's just so much to unpack. I have lots of conversations with my mom who grew up in St. Vincent, um, but is very British. Um, not as British as Barbados. Bar- Barbados is very British. Very British. Very British. <laughs> um, but you know, just unpacking things that she was taught that were correct versus, but I'm like, correct in whose eyes, right? Correct in British eyes. So is that a taking on of white supremacist culture as that's right? Or was it a way of stripping you from your cultural heritage so that you can be assimilated into this culture that makes you think that this is the correct way to live, right? So we, we have very interesting conversations, but um, <laughs> sounds like it. But you know, it's it's this realization of wow. Okay, as you were saying, you know, there's generations that this is what they've known, right? Many people were raised or grew up in very British colonies. Um, their countries haven't seen independent. They they've seen independence in their lifetime. Exactly. You know? Exactly. It was 
it, it was very interesting as you brought up independence. It was very interesting for me when I lived in Belize because Belize, they saw independence in 1981. And not to like date myself here, but that was the year I was born. Mm. So for me, I'm like, this country is as old as I am. Yeah. What do you really know? <laughs> and back then I was... 38 or somewhere 37 38 around the time I was living there so I'm like as a I'm still like figuring myself out imagine for a country that's just come out from yeah. underneath British rule yeah and they're they're not even a republic yet they're just independent right two different scenarios right Barbados just went through it right yeah like they're now trying to figure out who they are mm -hmm. and through that again even the diversity within Belize is yeah. amazing but yeah. then you have these little pockets of the, it's like the culture sometimes get how do I say it they, they, they kind of separate themselves. Like, this is the Maya culture. This is the this. This is the this. This is the this. And you're like, okay. But we're all Belizean. But what does that really mean? We're not right sure yeah. yet, but we're figuring it out. Yeah. You know? And I feel like a lot of it here in Trinidad is the same thing. It's like we're trying to say, yes, we're all Trinidadian. We're all, we're all one people, one culture. We're all the things, but that's at the surface. But let's, when we start digging down, are we really, or are we still separating ourselves into these little buckets? Yeah. And when you go into a room and you're still the only person who's like of a darker complexion how mm -hmm. are you feeling in that room mm -hmm. when you go into a room and you're the or uh, let's say a virtual room like a zoom room and i'm and you're the only person that puts their pronouns up there and everyone else is like why did you do that mm -hmm. in the chat privately to you and you have to answer that question over and over and over and over again because no one understands that mm -hmm. or when you go in a room and they say well you wouldn't know you lived outside for so long yeah right but you're not from here you're not from here but you're not from there you're so where am i from right, right? so all of these 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 nuances. And that's why I always say, like, I tell people, you know, like when, when people say to me, oh, well, inclusion, that should be easy, right? I'm like, do you understand the nuances mm -hmm. that are a part of the work that we're doing? It's not this, like, I, I always feel like a broken record, right? It's not this checklist. It's not this, like, one and done thing. It's not cut and dried. Right. And it's also not something I don't see it as the goal, because right. if it's a goal, it means we're going to accomplish it and we're going to have utopia. <laughs> but, it is a never ending journey. 
It's a never ending journey. Exactly. It's a journey. And I think, you know, (laughs) coming back to like the people here and just people working internationally, hearing that, I think hearing that idea of it being a journey for some people, that's the scariest thing you can tell them. Yeah. Because they're like, well, and that's when it comes up. Well, okay, well, mm, maybe let's put this on the back burner. Yeah, we don't have maybe, time. Maybe we don't have time. Maybe, yeah, you guys really don't need to be in this conversation. You're good. You have some parts of it, right? Yeah. They don't want to dig deeper, right? Yeah. Go beyond just that surface. It is so, it's just, just fascinating to me. Um <laughs> And and I I want to do more work in this space. And to your point, you know, for for so long, I'm raised in the U.S., right? So I'm I'm straight up American, though I didn't get my U.S. citizenship until 2016 because I had this, (laughs) my father kind of had in my head, like, you're a Bayesian and you're going to have your Bayesian citizenship. And, you know, if you need to get out, you know where you're home, you can always go home. Oh, yeah. And so for the longest time, that was kind of inbred in me. Um, so I have dual now, but it's it's fascinating to me because I've been doing this work for so long and I can kind of step back and see the beauty of if we were to have, un- start to unpack some of these conversations, what could take place and what could take shape. You know, and and you touched on it too. Like I've actually started doing a lot of my family ancestry Mm. and, you know, you have one thing kind of in mind and then you start pulling out documents and you start pulling out, you know, all of these things and going to the archives. And I was just like, this is such a fascinating story. Um not only because some things did align, like I know I have Scottish background, um, but that Scottish background was solidified in that that great, great grandmother and grandfather have a marriage certificate, Hmm. right? So it's like, that tells a story. I think it was 1830 or 1836, something like that. Um, And so you start to understand, okay, what was happening during those times? You know, when you think here about revolutions, what was happening in history. So there's there's so much. And I always tell people like diversity, equity and inclusion work isn't just HR. Listen, listen. <laughs> right. It's not just HR. It is understanding um, anthropology. It's understanding yes. sociology. It's understanding psychology. Like it is understanding all of these things because you have to understand how we got where we are in order for us to understand where we need to go. And so without unpacking some of this baggage that comes through that history and understanding the anthropology and all of those things, the socioeconomic things that were happening during that time, we can't ask for equity or reparations or any of those things without digging into the the ugly stuff, right? And before I, I lose this thought, I think that's kind of what's happening right now um, it was in the news. There's two families, but the one I think that most people will know is Benedict Cumberbatch, the actor, right? Cumberbatch was a huge plantation owner 
in Barbados. And so now people are asking for reparations from that family. And what does that look like? And it's kind of come out that his mother wanted him to change his name when he became an actor. So it wouldn't come back to him. Right. The family history. So, again, understanding. And I saw on TikTok, this young lady was able to trace her family roots back to the Cumberbatch plantation. Right. So when we talk about reparations and we talk about um, understanding what equity looks like and trying to Mm -hmm. rebuild. This is also part of the work. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah, sorry, I could go on for days about this. But, you know, I think, you know, you what I appreciate and love about you and the lens that you bring to this work is it's not just this is my lived experience of being, you know, from Trinidad and living in the U.S. Like you lived in Japan, you lived in Belize, you know, in South America. So you've seen this global um, perspective of what the other looks like or could be like and how to shape how people experience that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It it's it's definitely, you know, in a perspective that even for me, I had to sit down and unpack. And mm-hmm. I'm still unpacking, let's be real about it. I'm still unpacking unpacking it because just thinking about my time in the in not just in Japan that was 10 years of my adult mm. life, right? And very, you know, the time in your life as an adult, like you're, you're my like mid twenties into my thirties, right? Where mm. you're learning and growing and you're in this space that it's a very homogeneous society yeah. and you have to learn your, you, for so much of my life, I was always the one. Even if in the high school I worked with, in I was surrounded by, yes, other English-speaking teachers. There was, we, we had a big department. It was about 20 of us. Hmm. But guess who was the only Black right. person? Me who was the only person not from the global North originally from Mm. me, right? Who was, you know, the person who was, walked the world in a larger body, me. (laughs) And especially in Japan, right? right? Who was the person who was allergic to shellfish? (laughs) Me. (laughs) Like just (laughs) these little things, right? That make you feel so othered, yeah. In, uh, in a space that having that experience, but also not just having that experience myself, but also seeing others go through that experience, and Mm. yeah, because my students were also from. were also international. I worked in an international um, high school. So they were from international, mostly from around Asia. So from the Philippines, from Thailand, from South Korea, from China, right? And some from European countries. But 
So even with them, when they came into my class, they were sometimes together, mm-hmm. but sometimes when they went off into their Japanese, their, you know, their regular classrooms, they were usually a lot of the times the only, right? Yeah. So that perspective, when I started really, you know, especially when I started digging into like program design and assessment, that was a big part of how when you're building programs, and when I talk programs, I mean like educational programs. So I did mm-hmm. a lot of building study abroad programs, right? Okay. And building programs for social enterprises, right? Um, especially in women and girls education. Okay. So when you're, you're looking at things from that perspective, one of the things for me is that I, I guess my experience just has me questioning so many things that people don't really think should be an issue, mm. right? So just to give you an example, I went to a conference last year and they had, I was speaking at the conference and they had chairs for this. There were two two stages. They had, you know, on the bigger stage, it was like nice little comfy chairs. And on the smaller stage, it was like high chairs. Okay. So I was so happy that my talk was on the bigger stage because in that room, that high chair, as someone who is 5'3 and in the larger body, I could not get up on that chair. I would have had to say, I'm sorry, I have to stand. I, I just othered I myself. Do. I just felt like it's right. I just felt like I, it's, yeah. I don't belong. I already felt that. And when you're planning an event, no one thinks about no one things. thinks about that. But I I do. Yeah. <laughs> because of all these little experiences and not just the experiences, but also putting like it's like theory, practice, and like <laughs> all of so it's like everything just combined, yes. you know, yeah. that's just like I have to like unpack for myself what what does all of this mean mm-hmm. for where I stand within this space for wh- where what I speak on for you know like it's yeah. it's such a I, I, no, no no and it's like I I totally appreciate that because um, what I am hearing is this lens of equity and inclusion because of lived experience, right? And so you see the world, when you see the world as an only, or you see the world from a perspective of who is not going to be included or who's not going to have um, a good experience versus I just want to do this event so I could get this event done, right? It's a different way of doing it. And and I say that, you know, I've, I've led inclusion marketing for a large company, and that was something my team was very, very um, diligent about, yeah. right? It's like, do we have ramps for our stages? Do we have chairs that are accessible? 
Um, do we have different options, you know, seating options? Do we have seating options at a reception? Right. Um, you know, we wanted to think through like who could potentially come through this space in the experience that they were having based on who they were. Right. We didn't want to have people asking for accommodations. We wanted to be very proactive in that, you know, even in having ASL interpreters available without people asking for it. So I appreciate, you know, what you're saying, because the other thing that came to me when you said about the high chairs on the stage, I'm like women in dresses and the height yes. of that. Yes. Oh. <laughs> no. Also. <laughs> no. Been there. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it, those are the things, though, that you think about when you have lived experience as someone that's been an other, because you don't want to make, you want to make sure that no one else has that similar experience. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Abiola, I want to do a little bit of a pivot. Yeah. We've been, you know, going on and on and on and on. And I, I just love this conversation. Um, this work is challenging as we, you know, we've been saying and a lot of unpacking for self and for others and helping them unpack and, and get through some ugly truths. And so how do you take care of yourself? How do you fill your cup as you're doing this work? Yeah, I, one of the things I always tell anyone who says to me, hey, I want to become an entrepreneur or I want to become a DEI practitioner. I'm like, get a therapist. <laughs> yes. It's my first. Yeah. <laughs> Get a therapist. Yes, you can't do this by yourself. Yes. You can't do this by yourself. Like your <laughs> friends are great to like bounce. Yes. Get a professional <laughs> to help you through. So that's my therapist keeps me. <laughs> she keeps me in line. <laughs> she keeps me like she keeps. So one of the things is like, for me, I sometimes need that tough love and she, she gives me that. And that helps me to get out of my head mm. in certain ways and unpack things that I really don't want to unpack. Cause if you leave me to do it on my own, I won't do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So having that person there to say here, do this is what we're working on this week. You said this is an issue. Like I, I need that. Okay. That that that's one thing for me that it's it's a non-negotiable. Like it has to be. It just I love it. is I right. Love it. So and the other thing I would also say for me, and this may come as no surprise, but as a Caribbean woman, it's music. Like I need it in my life and a lot of the times it is going to be like calypso and soca music okay. just yes. fills me with the joy that i can't you can't even understand and i yes i i listen to all different types of music but if like when i need that boost some marshall is some kes let's go <laughs> some Patrice, some Allison Hines up in there, <laughs> you know. Listen, you're speaking my language. Soka all day, every day. <laughs> yes, yeah, speaking my language. Yes, right. Yes. It's 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 just it's just a necessity, and 
And also, I read a lot, like mm. a lot. And yes, I read, you know, the, you know, the 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 nonfiction, the books for work and stuff like that. But I also read the my little romance novels. <laughs> Something just to it's take you away, yeah. just to take you away. And I, yeah. I, I've done that since I was a kid. So I, I read pretty fast. So last year I read like 89 books and that, that was Ooh. like a, a low year. It's just, I've been, it since I, it's just like, I always have a book so yeah those are basically the three things for me that helped me just like you know other than like family and my nephews and my niece you know what I mean but those right. three things are non-negotiables in my life I love it I love it <laughs> yes and I'm down for this anytime you come in here usually I'm like that little thing device over there because if I say the name right now to come on play some soca radio and it's on <laughs> so I, I, I'm right there with you so, Abigail, thank you so much for being with us today. Like I said, we could have gone on for hours with this conversation because I think it's just so much, again, to unpack as you do this work outside of the U.S. and, and, and trying to do so with a lens um, of coming in with different perspectives and, yeah. and, and how we see the world. And so I truly appreciate that. If people wanted to get in contact with you and, and work with you, what is the best way for them to do that? Yeah, the best way to contact me is probably through LinkedIn, right? Just look at my name, Abiola Bala, and you can also check in with me on my website for an educationstudios.com. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here with us today. And everyone, thank you all for tuning in on this episode of DEI After Five. As always, you can catch us here on Tuesdays at 5.15 p.m. Eastern on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. All right. I'll see you next time. Have a good one. Mm -hmm.